Hey, this is Bill Oakley, and you're listening to Four Finger Discount. Huh? Hey, what's up? Some poor kid fell down a well. Yes. My name is Timmy O'Toole. I just turned 10 years old. Timmy, where are your parents? Uh, I have no family. I tried to enroll in school, but your principal Skinner turned me away because of my shabby clothes. <gasps> He's a liar. <laughs> the circumference of the well is 34 inches, so unfortunately not one member of our city's police force is slender enough to rescue the boy. By God, man, you're a bunch of marshmallows. Why don't you go, Chief? Well, I'm too f- important. <laughs> Four-finger discount, dude. Welcome to Four Finger Discount, the podcast where we're always sending our love down the well. This week we're here to review episode 8F11. It is Radio Bart. I am Dando. I am Guy. We are starting a little early today, so forgive me if I sound a little more sultry than usual. Um, but uh, there's a very good reason why we're up and at them. Tell them, Dando. Because today we are very lucky to be joined by former Simpsons writer, showrunner, and Instagram's favourite foodie expert, it's the legendary Bill Oakley. Bill, how are you, sir? Hello, it is good to be here. I'm so glad I didn't have to get up early like you guys did. It's a leisurely <laughs> 12.30 here in Portland, Oregon. What's on the menu today for you, sir? You're the, the legendary food expert now, so what's going on? Well, I finally found, after months of searching, the Old Bay Clam Chowder made by Campbell's Chunky Soups. And I know this doesn't mean anything to people in Australia, but Old Bay... Very is a, I'm from Maryland. It's a very Maryland thing. Uh, it's kind of a spice that you use for crabs and things like that. And they've this soup, this pre-made soup with it is has been hard. Has been I've been looking for it for months. It's been my white whale. I finally found it yesterday. So that's on tap for me after we finish this. How did you pronounce that? Was it chowder? Did you say? I did. I said chowder. <laughs> I did. Don't worry. You're not going to trap me with that one. I said chowder. So by this point, though, can you not just contact the companies and say, I want this, send it to my house? <laughs> you know, I don't like, there's a weird relationship between companies and me. And there's, I think the thing is that 95% of people who do this kind of thing on Instagram just post what they're sent uncritically. And just like, here's the new McRib is back at McDonald's. Here's the new sandwich we're cooking. A lot of the times, what people follow me for is criticism. So, you know, is accurate, frank, honest criticism about this stuff. So I don't solicit companies to send it to me. Sometimes I do once once every two years. I'm like, well, this is a product I love. Can I get some more for free? Yes, that would be good. But I don't, in general, I don't ask them for stuff. And they, most of them have stopped sending me stuff too. Like all the companies that used to send me stuff, like McDonald's and Arby's, have uh, after I gave them a bad review this year, it could just be a coincidence, but they have they have stopped sending me stuff, which is probably for the best because it's a weird it's a weird business. It's good that you're the name we can trust, Bill. That I mean that you've got a bit of discernment when it comes to your your snack treats. I like to think so. I certainly have. I've certainly developed a palate, uh, a knowledgeable palate for this type of thing for snack treats for fast food, and I've been increasingly drawn into the world of fancy food. You know, and like I'm having more like imported pickles and oysters and I get invited out to fancy restaurants and stuff so and I don't have any problem with that stuff I, I'm, I'm happy to get it it's usually if, especially if it's for free of course um, but I am you know I'm, I'm, I'm broadening out a little bit yes with uh, with all the things I do were you always a foodie or is this something that's just being born out of the explosion of the steamed hams <laughs> I was not 
well, I would never call myself a foodie, but I was always interested in like when the McDonald's would come out with a new burger, I want to be the first one to try mm. it and tell everybody about it or the new flavor of Lay's potato chips or, or the new Reese's uh, candy type thing. So I've always been like that. I've always been interested in those in, in new types of food. I have never been particularly the kind of person who took photos of my food or even really discussed it with other people until about five years ago when I suddenly realized I could do that on Instagram and people might enjoy it. I'm just going to be honest. I'm jealous. Scott and I were discussing this off the air before we, <clears throat> we came on here. How do you keep your figure? Because you eat junk food a lot. I'm looking at like, how is this guy not morbidly obese? Like, what, are you just on the treadmill all day? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> you know, the thing is, you guys have it. First of all, let me say, even when I'm not eating junk food, I don't eat healthy. So that's not it. Um, it's basically that I don't eat all that I don't eat all that much you know I rarely eat I don't eat breakfast I eat a very light lunch in general and then it, in the evening is when I go nuts uh, and I know that's the unhealthy people say that's unhealthy but mm. there's been that's been disputed <laughs> by a number of studies recently so um, and I don't eat a lot of the stuff the thing is one of the things I've developed in the course of doing this is if unless I'm loving something I don't finish it and that's that's a skill that is, has really benefited me because 80% of stuff I get I don't love um, and there, and I just, you know, I put it in the compost bin. So, uh, that's one, that's one thing. And in fact, I'd probably be in excellent shape if it weren't for all the beer. The beer is what's keeping me, if, you know, it's keeping me with this healthy plump figure. If I didn't have any beer, I'd actually probably be pretty slim and, and healthy looking. I'm glad that you're uh, someone who seeks out a variant or seeks yeah. out a, a, I mean, uh, I like to think we might be kindred spirits in that regard, because <laughs> uh, uh, this morning I'm eating not regular Oreos with my morning coffee, but double stuffed cinnamon bun uh, Oreos. Oh, those are pretty good, right? <laughs> not not bad, although it is a it is a sugar rush, rush and a half, I'll tell you. I mean, it's what I need to get me going in the morning. But uh, yeah, I'm someone who goes to like the, I was about to say the secondhand shop, but you don't do that for groceries. Uh, we call it NQR here in Australia, not quite right. So it's the brands that didn't really take off and the supermarkets have a whole bunch of them. So um, they'll usually end up at these uh, remainder stores. And I just love going through the, I was like, I can see why this didn't take off, but damn it, if it, if you've marked it down to a third of the regular price, I'm going to take three of them home and give them a whirl. I'm just like that. That's I love to go to the dollar. In America, we have the dollar store where everything costs a dollar, although inflation has made that a little bit more flexible. Now things are $1.50 or whatever, but where the stuff, and it's often where the stuff, yeah, NQR, as you said, they got all the barbecue sauce that had a flavor that everyone hated, and they have all the frozen, they always have stuff that is kind of leftover or weird, and most of it is actually not that good, but once in a while, I will find, I will find some gold in those shelves. We have what we call home brand here, which is sort of like the, what would you call that guy? What's the equivalent in the States of that? Just like the cheap brand of, like the, the supermarket yeah. brand of, um, of yeah. corn chips. I will say to the day I die that the, the home brand corn chips are better than any Doritos I've ever tasted. That's often the case. You know, you find these things, these regional things that nobody's ever heard of or some local brand, the brand that comes from the convenience store. Here we have 7-Eleven often has excellent uh, chips and sandwiches and things. And I hear that in Japan, it's a whole different level even from what we have here. Uh, but that I agree with you. That That's often the case. And those things are neglected because they don't have any marketing. Unlike Doritos and, and Lay's, which are on constantly bombarding you with celebrities on, you know, basketball players on the bags and stuff. Those brands don't ever get any attention. And they're often, there's hidden gems in there. Are you a sucker? Because I was a sucker growing up for, and they put like cards or little, we used to call them tars, those little pogs that you call them in the States in chips. Were you a, were you a sucker for those kind of things? No, not really. I was 
oh, I'm a lot older than you. There used to be things in cereal boxes yeah. that when right. I was young, that, that was definitely when I was like seven or eight, when we had things, uh, when there'd be prizes, especially from the monster cereals. I don't know if you guys have the monster cereals, like Count Chocula, Frankenberry. Those, uh, uh, the monster cereals often had great prizes, uh, which that's the kind, I was, I was definitely influenced heavily by the prizes and cereals when I was a kid. After that, I didn't, I didn't care so much. Well, let's, let's transition now into our steamed ham society because this thing looks like a whole lot of fun for a Simpsons fan, particularly that middle tier. That is, I think it's $17 Australian, but it looks, $17 US. Either way, it looks great. Let, let's talk about Steam Ham Society. This is a thing that I started about six months ago that has taken off uh, to a large extent. And it's, I hope that it will become a few, my full-time job in a couple of years because it's that, it's very fun. I, I love, uh, it's basically, let me say, to explain this for people who aren't familiar, everybody listening to this podcast probably knows what steamed hams are, but it's a euphemism for hamburgers. And so this is a club for people who like food. And as you said, it's people who like food, like to talk about food, say, I found this amazing chicken sandwich on my vacation. I found these incredible Doritos at this QA, at the secondhand store. And, and that's the kind of thing that we talk about. We, and it's, it's a club for food appreciators with, also a Simpsons element. So what we have is we have live streams. We have all sorts of stuff. There's a newsletter that I put out every month that catalogs all the latest foods you have to try uh, and sometimes recipes and things that people have sent me. There's also a live stream once a month with usually a food luminary like we had the uh, food critic from the Los Angeles Times just a few days ago. Before that, we had the guy who does Sandwiches of History who is a member of the society. We have chefs, things like that. Uh, and then, and there's also... There's other levels too for people who really want to get into it. There's levels where I mail you some of the snack, favorite, my favorite snacks. I found that's expensive, um, but there's also a Simpsons element for people who are Simpsons fans. Uh, there's a special channel on our Discord just for Simpsons talk, where sometimes I tell behind the scenes stories, uh, or you know I answer questions and about things, all sorts of. It's kind of like having your own private DVD commentary, and. Also, we have a live stream every month as well as in addition to the live stream, there's a live stream for Simpsons fans. Uh, first, we had Dan Graney talking about the episodes he most famously wrote, the 300-pound Homer episode and Summer of Four Foot Two. And then we also had, uh, just last week, we had David X. Cohen who talking about the Pucci episode and talking about Futurama and a lot of stuff that he's done. And I would say this is the kind of stuff you can't find anywhere else. And it's because I'm drawing in a lot of my old old friends to come out and, and, and hang out. And it's it's a very small group of people who are very knowledgeable about The Simpsons. But it, that's a fun – that's one aspect of it. The food aspect is 80% of it. The Simpsons thing is another uh, is another aspect of it. Uh, and there's even also a level for people – there's an extremely expensive level for people who want to be – who are aspiring writers, who want advice – for me because people are always mailing me stuff and asking me will you read my screenplay and it's too time consuming <laughs> and and so now there's a level if you want me to do that you can sign up at the highest level and I will do it and I will read your screenplay and give you notes and we'll discuss to tell you how to proceed Ooh. with your career and stuff but I'm not going to do it for free so that's <laughs> anyway there's a number of different tiers if you're interested in any of those things um, go to steamedhamssociety.com and sign up and you'll see me on the discord every day um, and it's the kind of thing that it's 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 been a lot of fun. We have our own merchandise, our own store, and the more people that sign up, the more I can stop uh, working in TV and devote my full time to the Steamed Ham Society. 
Oh, my God. Well, um, I think I might be hitting that top tier, uh, provided we do it at mates' rates, Bill. Uh, <laughs> because we're, talk- well, we're talking about food, we're talking about The Simpsons, and we're talking about wannabe writers. Oh, my God, tick, tick, tick. So um, we would love to have you. Your, your, your money is just as green as ours if Australian money is green. <laughs> I've, d- I've just lost my, um, lost my co-host. He's just now going to join the Steam Ham Society. He's gone forever. <laughs> no, I, I, just, I love it. I, I feel like I've... All the people who have ever worked on The Simpsons, you've always managed to have your finger on the pulse. And I love the fact that <clears throat> you've managed to combine your two biggest loves, Food and The Simpsons, and turn it into a career. That's sensational. I applaud you. Thank you. I really, I'm really excited to transition myself into a food celebrity. And hopefully, and I've, I've been appearing on TV shows. Uh, you know, I want to be the thinking man, Sky Fieri. And, and uh, you know, and, and add a little comedy in there. And I have been, I have, I've, succeeded to some extent i'm on a show i don't know if you guys have the history channel there but there's a yeah. show called the food that built america i don't know why you guys would care about the food that built america but uh, i'm an expert on i'm a panelist basically on that show where i talk about various you know things uh, all sorts of different types of histories of, of american foods nabisco oreos as we discussed and i'm other i'm also in development for a show that i star in and i do a lot of other food i you know do panels and interviews and things and I just say that this universe is a lot more fun than the regular TV universe, especially these days where the TV universe, you know, the standard thing in TV these days is that you work on a show for about six months and you work your ass off and then it gets about six hours of attention on the Netflix homepage and nobody Mm. ever hears of it again. And that's like, that's not very satisfying. Although the money is satisfying, and also the money's drying up too. <laughs> but that, that's another process. The thing that the streaming services have made sure is that like, you know, the writers come in for as the shortest amount of time possible to write the scripts and then they're out forever and they have to go on to their next job. Are we talking disenchantment here? That's one, that's one of the shows that did that, yeah. as a matter of fact. And that's one of the shows that, that caused me to realize this career is dumb. At this point, it's a very fun, it's a, it was a very fun career in the 90s when you're working on a show and this, it, people who still work on The Simpsons obviously have the benefit of this. You're making 22 episodes a year. It's a full-time job. Now, 90% of shows are, are gigs. It's like a gig, it's basically yeah. driving for Uber or something where it's like, you got to get a gig, you got to get a gig and then you're out on your ass again um, because they, they, they figured out a way as Silicon Valley always does when they get involved in some business, they figure out a way to absolutely minimize expenses. And for almost all TV shows, the jobs are now, you get in, they hire the writers for six to eight, whatever weeks to write as much as possible, write all the scripts, and then they're gone forever. (laughs) And then you got to find your next one. You got to find four or five jobs a year. Like I feel bad for people who are like young people trying to start a family as writers in LA where it's like, you're going to have to find four or five jobs a year just to make a a middle-class income. And so that's actually going to be an issue in the upcoming writers negotiations, which may result in a strike. Um, Anyway, that said, I made, I I had a lovely, I have, I had and continue to have a lovely career in TV, but it's not that it's much more fun for me to make a video in three hours that 40, 50,000 people see than spend six months working on a TV show that less than that (laughs) number of people see. Yeah, from what I understand, Bill, as well, I mean, aside from the economic component of, uh, you know, the, this current writing structure, it's also kind of killing the writer's room mentor-protege relationship as well. You can't uh, sort of develop your own voice over time and, and learn from the people around you because of that, that gig nature, as you mentioned. That's very true. And that's one of the things that they've had. The uh, People who, um, it used to be that you would be 
if you were lucky enough to get a job on a TV show that was on for a couple years, every year you'd rise up the ranks a little bit and you learn more. Like the next year you get to go to the set and, and work with the actors. The next year you get to work in the editing room. And so, you know, after four or five years on a show, you're capable of running your own show. That structure barely exists anymore, um, which has caused a lot of trouble as well. But it's also like this thing is, well, just this year, this whole thing has been a huge mess. You know, like Time Warner was taken over by Discovery Channel and they immediately canceled like almost all the shows and fired all the people who worked there because they're like we have enough old stuff that just keep rerunning it like i'm sure you heard about this and there's so many animated shows were just canceled immediately uh and they canceled that movie batgirl or whatever it was and like this industry is a huge mess except for like places like disney which are kind of like solid rocks that they know what they do and they do it well everyone else is is struggling in this weird way to figure out how it doesn't make any sense for these companies to keep making these expensive TV shows that don't get as many viewers as the average YouTube video, <laughs> you know? So that's like, it's a weird time for this. Well, you're moving into other um, other formats and other styles as well, because I mean, uh, you've got the project, is it Space 1969 with Natasha Leone that you're working on? Yes, that's, or I that finished that. I've, I mean, that's been out for a few months now and it has been, the, it's actually been the most successful. This is, I love working on that project. Uh, it's been the most successful thing I've ever done that wasn't created by Matt Groening. <laughs> and I'm, which, which for which I'm endlessly thankful. Um, it's it's on audible.com. Uh, now again, I'm not totally sure how well it translates overseas. Uh, it's a it, it's a it's a retro sci-fi space comedy. It takes place in an alternate universe, alternate slightly alternate history where JFK was not killed, but only slightly wounded in his in 1963 and and woke up from a short coma with a renew decided to end the war in Vietnam and immediately spend all of America's time and money and efforts expanding into space. Uh, and when the show begins, uh, it's on his third inauguration day in 1969, America has a space station and is about to open a colony on the moon. And it's uh, Natasha Leone stars as a nurse on the space station who was drawn into a conspiracy uh, involving, I won't say who, but a lot of, let's just say there's a huge galaxy of 1960s and 70s celebrities, music, cameos, references to things that, like, and I'm not like, I, I was only three years old at this time. So it's not like I, I'm, but I'm a fan of that era. So that's why yeah. I wrote this stuff. And uh, it's been incredibly successful. And I hope, I, and this discussions with him now to do the next season of the show, which I guess would be a sequel. Like it was supposed to be like a pod, like Audible only does either podcasts or audiobooks. This was neither, it's more like a radio show. Um, and so they, up to the very last minute, they were like, is this an audiobook or a podcast? They decided to call it audiobook, but so it's really more of a thing where it's a see, you know, to me, it was more like Futurama and there's a seasons with the stories that progress a little bit. So uh, hopefully we'll be doing the second season or the second audiobook pretty soon. Well, I think it'll translate, Bill. I mean, there are nerds outside America. You know? <laughs> OK, good. As long as you'll get references to obscure American TV shows and records and and products from this 60s. You uh, know, you don't have to know those things to appreciate the show. It's still a very solid story you know it's still a very entertaining story with a lot of humor and especially if you're the kind of person who likes the humor that i like which is early simpsons futurama style humor i think you will like it i'm just picturing us as nelson walking out of the cinema going there's two things wrong with that title naked lunch yeah (laughs) we're just just not getting we're just not getting it this is the thing though that's what made the simpsons so successful growing up in the 90s for me was that 
there are a lot of the gags that I didn't really know exactly what they were doing, but they were just funny anyway. The Simpsons managed to incorporate mm. references to things that kids probably not, wouldn't understand, but the adults understood, but kids still found funny anyway. Yeah, and I think as you that's one of the reasons The Simpsons has, has this longevity is that as people grow up, they watch the episodes again and they realize things that they didn't realize the first time. Even in the second and the third time, you know, there's things, there's a lot of stuff there for people who are, who pay attention, yeah. you know, and I think that's part of the episodes. The more, the more times you see them, the more layers you discover. And it's, there aren't very many shows like that. Um, and there haven't been that many shows like that in history. Well, we've been tackling Futurama as well recently. Futurama is the same. So many sci-fi references. It's when I was younger, straight over my head, but I watch now and go, how did I not know this? I love this. This show is made for me. I love it. Or if anything, you finally get old enough to uh, to understand what the uh, Sneeds Feed and Seed <laughs> gag actually means. I, it took me a long time to figure that out, um, honestly, and I didn't, I didn't work on that episode, but I, I think I saw it at least 10 times before I had any idea what that joke was. Was, was there ever a time in an earlier episode, like for you growing up, well, not you weren't growing up, but you were you know, in your teens, 20s, whatever, when The Simpsons first started, were there ever gags that sort of went over your head and when you started working on the show, you sort of revisited those old ones and went, ah, oh, how did I miss that one? I don't think so, because I think I was like 21 or 22, 22, 23 when the show went on the air, so yeah. there were not very many. Um, there might have been a few. There's definitely a few references that I still don't get to Shakespeare and other literary things, which because I'm I'm uh, I'm not as well versed in that stuff as some of those guys were. So there are often references to mythological things or Dickens or Shakespeare or things like that or Ayn Rand that I don't get and never got. Well, before we get into Radio Bart, let's talk about a night in Mission Hill in 4K as well. Yes. Now, did you, guys, did you guys even get Mission Hill in I don't in think Australia? we did, because I've tried. I'm, okay. I, I racked my brain. I'm like, did, was it ever on TV here? I don't think it was. Mm. Well, it's on YouTube. Yes. So check it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, here, <laughs> this is the thing. That, okay, so for the people who don't, under, don't know what I'm talking about, after Josh and I left The Simpsons, we created our own show. The show was called Mission Hill, and it was based on our observation working in The Simpsons that everyone on The Simpsons is under 12 or over 35, except for Otto. And... Like we were like, well, let's create a show where almost everybody is between that age. So it's a story of a, a brother who's uh, older brother is 24, younger brother who's 17 uh, who, and they have to move in together and then they have roommates. And then there's other characters who are older, like there's Gus and Wally who were TV's uh, TV's the first gay kiss ever broadcast on television was Gus and Wally. Um, they're all they're older. But in any case, it was kind of stories that are about urban, you know, urban young people, uh, hipsters, I guess you would say, in the late 90s. And it's definitely a time capsule of that. And it's our favorite thing that we ever did. And it basically, uh, it had a very short run on broadcast television, but then it went on cable to, on the Cartoon Network, what they call Adult Swim here, which is late night things mm-hmm. that they broadcast. And they broadcast it over and over for years. We have, the we same have Adult Swim episodes. here as well. Yeah. So, oh, you probably didn't get that, but yeah. uh, it built up this fan base. Uh over you know because of that and people grew up with it said it was very a lot of people who grew up and you know i guess that if people who were gay and lived in an oppressive environment or whatever people found people we keep hearing these stories of people who said i found this show and it really changed my life or it really influenced me in some way so it's very it's very satisfying because especially after all these years anyway to get to the point it, we have been Josh and I have been going around to move are going around to movie theaters, showing Mission Hill episodes. And what the reason is that a fan illegally, I should say, I don't think a lot of the Warner Brothers employees are listening to this podcast. So I'm <laughs> going to say, a fan may, took it upon his his or her own volition to use AI 
to upscale the entire series to 4K, and it looks amazing. Not only did the fan do this, but the fan restored the original music because all the music had been stripped out by Warner Brothers for the mm-hmm. DVD because they didn't want to pay for it. Mm-hmm. So you're seeing the original episodes as they were meant to be seen, but in this beautiful 4K, which looks great projected on a movie screen. So Josh and I did it in Portland. We're doing it in Los Angeles. Uh, in uh, January, we're doing it in Cincinnati in February, and we're in talks with several other cities to do it there. I mean, there aren't, let's say, there aren't a huge number of Mission Hill fans out there, but who, the ones that are, are very passionate. Mm-hmm. So we're taking these to small theaters where we, you know, where we can get 100, 150 people to come and, uh, and then Josh and I do a little talk. We answer questions. We give away some Mission Hill merchandise. So if you are listening to this and you would like to have your local theater show them, have them contact uh, me on Twitter or Instagram, and we can set it up. It's very All I have to do is pay for our travel, basically. Um, that's probably prohibitively expensive. But if you guys want to have, if you want to get a syndicate of local theaters in Australia to, to host us and fly us over there, we will absolutely do it. Maybe we can get like a string of shows that um, Night Mission Hill plus some Ooh. Simpsons trivia nights. We'll make a big tour of it or something with Bill and Josh. If you guys feel like you can broker that, uh, we will be there. This fan upscaled everything in 4K. Do you still charge him to read your scripts, or does he get he, does he get everything for free now for doing all that? No, hard but work? I, we sent him a mission. We sent him a Mission Hill autographed Mission Hill cell. Oh, so oh, wow. he was he was compensated. They won uh, out. But, okay. Yeah. And and but he doesn't. You know, this is like as I said, this is illegal. And Warner Brothers were Warner Brothers to ever pay attention to anything involving Mission Hill, which they never have. <laughs> Someone <laughs> might get in trouble, but but fortunately they're ignorant, and also almost everyone there has been fired. So we're not. In, I don't think we're in danger right now um, of anything happening. I just don't think they care anymore, do they? <laughs> no, they never cared, and they don't care. Everyone there is either is desperately hanging on to their jobs and just hoping that someone can come up with a new, you know, Batman thing to to, to prolong the life of the studio. It's it's terribly sad what's happening to Warner Brothers. I used to, I used to love it when the uh, when that shield came up, man. You knew you, knew you were going to be watching something. Of Those quality. fuckers <laughs> killed Mad Magazine. Mad Magazine, yeah. the, the magazine that had been around for 75 years, that had been the most influential, possibly the most influential thing in the history of American comedy. They shut it down when they took over. AT&T shut it down, and now AT&T has sold it, and Mad Magazine is history, and it just, it endless, it's of all the business transactions that I have ever heard of, that one is the most infuriating. Mm. If anything good comes out of this, it feels like though we're on kind of the... A new version of that wave that uh, created, I don't know, New Hollywood in the uh, in the seventies. You know, when you know at the end of the sixties, had all that all these bloated musicals and dramas that nobody yeah. liked, and all of a sudden, along comes Francis Coppola and Martin Scorsese and Spielberg and all that, and reinvented the game. I don't know. I get the feeling we might be on the verge of something like that now. I think that's definitely possible, and it, it, it interesting. It almost certainly will not come through these large conglomerates. You know, the large conglomerates. No. Have are only interested in re- rebooting the same things over and over and over, uh, and exploiting their library of superhero <laughs> content, you know, and and uh, animated show content, and that like, it, yeah, I think what you're talking about is going to come from elsewhere. But I can't wait for it to happen. It's funny what you're saying earlier though about Disney. How you can trust Disney? When Disney first purchased Fox and The Simpsons. I was worried as a fan. I thought, oh, what's this going to mean for, for The Simpsons? I think it's been nothing but a plus for The Simpsons because they whacked it on Disney Plus. And now it's just, it's, been, it's more accessible now than it's ever been, particularly the new episodes. I can now keep up to date with the new episodes. I know they're going to be on Disney Plus every week here in Australia. I can watch them. Plus all the old episodes. I feel like fans have gone back and revisited the show now again, who may not have revisited the show. I think it's just been a huge plus and a huge success for The Simpsons. I agree. I actually, I mean, I have no idea how it's affecting the current Simpsons, whether like Disney's giving them notes or whatever on, on, on their scripts. But 
I will. I agree with you 100% about that because Fox bungled it with their Simpsons world. You know, it used to be yep. the, the only way you could watch Simpsons from like from like 2005 to 2018 was on Simpsons World, which was that site that they set up, you know, and they tried. It was such a huge mess. You couldn't even watch the show. You had to, it forced you to watch the commercials. And, and also it was such a huge pain to log on and, and, and you had to log in through your cable system. And it, even I gave up trying to watch Simpsons on simpsonsworld.com. <laughs> and yes, having it on Disney Plus is amazing. But what they did, the unfortunate side effect of having of Simpsons World was that kids or basically kids from ages maybe like 6 to 20 are unfamiliar with the Simpsons for the mm-hmm. most part because it wasn't on like my kids watched every episode of Futurama 20 times and every episode of Bob's Burgers 20 times because it was on Netflix and you could just leave it streaming but Simpsons wasn't that and that thus they and all their friends and similar kids all around the world aren't familiar with the Simpsons because it was paywalled for so many for a decade and a half it's up to so many of us original fans to just keep the dream alive. Like I, I make sure my two and four year old watch The Simpsons at least two or three times a week, just to, oh, like, just to sort of plant good. the seed. This is going to be your new favorite show. <laughs> just let, just be aware. If you're a fan of everything we do here at Four Finger Discount, you can show your support by joining the family at Patreon.com/slash/FourFingerDiscount. Here you'll get ad-free early access to all of our shows, Zoom calls with Guy and myself as well as bonus podcasts such as Tales of Futurama and Guy on Springfield, where we go back and revisit classic episodes from the first 10 seasons. So go ahead and join the family today at patreon.com slash discount. If you feel like having yourself a time, then check out our new podcast, Going Down to South Park, where we go back and revisit every episode of the iconic series, dissecting the stories, reveling in chef sing-alongs, and chuckling at the occasional fart joke. Going Down to South Park is available now for free on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. If you're looking for a podcast that'll always be there for you, look no further than our new show, The One About Friends, hosted by myself and my incredible wife, Nicola. She is literally the biggest Friends fan I know, so who better to help me as we revisit every single episode of the show, discussing the characters, fashion trends, and how this iconic series still relates to our lives to this day. The One About Friends is available now on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Good news, everyone! Yes, everyone's favourite podcast from the year 3000 has returned. It's Tales of Futurama, available exclusively for Four Finger Discount patrons. Starting all the way back at Space Pilot 3000, we're reviewing every episode of Futurama as we sink back a cool, refreshing can of delicious slurm. So be sure to sign up today or else Bender might tell you to... Wake my shiny metal ass! Tales of Futurama, available now at patreon.com slash fourfingerdiscount. This message proudly brought to you by the Hypnotoad. We're here to discuss Radio Bart. We've got we've got all the uh, anti Warner out of the way. <laughs> Let's Great. discuss Radio Bart. So this is, I believe, you once told us that this was one of your favorite episodes. Is that correct? Yes, this is actually. I would say it's probably my favorite episode, and nobody ever says this one because people. The thing about it is when people are called up, called upon to say their favorite episode, they say the ones that stick in your head, and the ones that stick in your head are like Monorail or Frank Grimes mm-hmm. or whatever, where you can say one or two words and like you know what it is. Or Steamed Hams, for instance. Uh, this episode is not easily described, but I think it is like this was the you know people say standing on the shoulders of giants. This is the kind of this is the giant that we were all standing on the shoulders of, like you know it, this episode has everything, 
everything in it that made the simpsons great um and whereas i could say it's the monorail does not the monorail completely is, is lacking in emotion <laughs> and it's a great funny show but like it doesn't have everything that made the simpsons great in it this does and that's why i pick it generally and it's because it's it, it's always just kind of gets lost in the morass of all those great season three episodes that that were so classic and it gets forgotten but i think this one is the one where you can see like the simpsons firing on all cylinders what I love the most about The Simpsons is when it's got a really good emotional beat, particularly like at the end. It's usually a Homer Lisa story that I love the yeah. most, but I love it when there's a story that involves the town, a big town, like Bart's Comet or something like that, where the town's all together. That's what you get here. Good old fashioned hole digging. I, I just, I love this and, story. But it also, but additionally, it starts small and gets big, which is the best thing. Like the Comet basically gets big, stay, gets big and stays big. This one has, a, this starts small and gets big, which I think allows you to have more more dimension than the story that get that's, that's big from from the get-go mm. the foundation of is of course important but i'm also a big fan of filigree just like you know little bits of uh you know either one-liners or, or side gags or something like that and this episode again yeah it strikes me as full of them whether it's you know just uh little bit appearances by funky see funky do or you know a little montage in the middle where bart is spending his um his birthday vouchers or whatever and you've just got yes. these little yes. uh comic snapshots or um i'm always surprised when i revisit an episode and realize oh that line that i've been saying forever out of context yeah is from this i mean i am an absolute sucker it sort of ties into what we were saying earlier about various foodstuffs but if you if you say limited <laughs> you've got my credit card information almost immediately and i'll pretty much yell out limited and uh, and then buy it so um yeah i was i was very pleased to discover that this was in fact limited. <laughs> so <laughs> i was i think this just epitomizes springfield in the sense that they loved the idea of timmy o'toole they got behind it they could market it everyone was making a profit off of this kid chucked down a well once they found out it was bart like anna party's over let's just go home we don't care anymore that just sums up springfield to me well that's almost what happened as i'm sure you guys know there's a lot of real stuff yeah i didn't as a kid though i didn't know the story of jessica yeah. as a child I I, I I there would be no reason for you to know it <laughs> that, but it was it was big news in america and it obviously this was inspired by that uh and also the hype that was around it i mean it was a national event and then uh it but i think that it clearly like putting bart in that situation was genius because it's like the dimension of him having faked everyone out makes everyone turn on him which is so entertaining mm. uh, particularly the police yeah i said we just go home and have a sleep yeah <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah so so this jessica mcclure story was that just like huge was it and if you're watching this as an american viewer you would immediately go okay this is the jessica yes. mcclure story yes i'm pretty sure even in australia at that stage because Dan knows a young whippersnapper, yeah. Bill. I've got, I'm, I'm, I'm a card-carrying Generation X member. Uh, but I'm pretty sure that in Australia we had a – I mean, it was probably before the second – yeah, between the first and second news breaks on the 6 p.m. news board. be like, meanwhile in Texas, uh, Jessica McClure still down well. Right, right. Film at 11. But uh, it was enough of a human interest story that even Australians were interested. Apparently this story was pitched by Graining. Uh, he wanted it based on Ace in the Hole, the film with the journalist oh. faking the story of the guy down the well. That's what this was originally from. And John Vitti, who wrote the episode, didn't actually watch that until after he wrote the script, he said. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. 
Yeah, I didn't yeah. know that either. Ace, Ace in the Hole is a fantastic movie. Yeah, and also this has one of your favourite characters, Dave Shutton, the journalist as well. A guy loves him. <laughs> <laughs> what a scoop. What, was there a reason you didn't bring him back more often than, say, season seven and eight? Like, were, were there characters that you wish you had brought back now that you didn't? Dave Shutton doesn't have much personality. He's only there for reporter jokes. You know, like, not like Kent Brockman, who has more pomp. Kent Brockman is also more a visual. Mm. Being a TV broadcaster, Dave Shutton works in the print media, which even on a cartoon is hard to, sh- you know, hard to show. And he didn't have much personality. He's only there for reporter jokes to like, what a scoop or whatever. And yeah, no, he, he didn't. I don't regret that we didn't bring back Dave Shutton <laughs> there. Were there ever characters that you wanted to bring back, but you just couldn't find a way to work them in? No. Uh, we always did that. We brought back the ones we wanted to when we didn't bring back the ones we didn't want to, like Bleeding Comes Murphy and Marvin Monroe. Uh, and so, no, we, I, to be honest, I think we did. We brought them. We brought the ones. We succeeded in bringing back the ones we wanted to. I've got to ask you. You go from writer to showrunner, right? Season seven. What was the first thing that went through your heads when you were given that gig? Do you know, did you know it was coming? Was it something that you sort of you were transitioning into the role? Or was it just sort of like, hey, Bill, Josh, it's yours. What do you we think? We knew. Take that for a spin. Yeah, well, I think the thing is that we had, we were in negotiations for a very long time. We had been the weird thing about the show is that we, in a basically a course of two and a half years, became the most senior guys on the show because everyone, you know, John Vitti and all those other guys, Mike Reese and Algene, all left, and then Conan was the most senior guy on the show, and then he left, and then leaving Josh and I, literally after eight months on the show, we were the most senior guys on the show, and then. Um, you know, kind of for seasons five and six, we kind of just wrote our own scripts. And uh, Dave Merkin was very generous in just letting us kind of do what we wanted uh, in, in most cases. And just we spent most of our time in our office writing scripts. And then I think it was Dave Merkin recommended us and we were pretty, it seemed likely that we would get the job, but basically it took months and months of negotiation because they wanted us to do it for two years and we only wanted to do it for one and see how we did. And it took months of them searching for replacements for us until they finally gave up and let us do it for one. Um, and then, uh, so we knew and we knew, and we had lots of stuff that we wanted to do. Like we, we knew that we wanted to reproduce season three to some extent. And so we literally mapped out season three and said, okay, season three had one itchy and scratchy episode, one sideshow Bob episode, you know, four Bart's, six homers, two Lisa's. And we basically just kind of tried to copy that uh, when we started. And then we were also like, but we also want to have two episodes a year where we just go nuts and two episodes a year where we just do whatever the hell we want in this wonderful sandbox that we've been given. And that was where like short 22 short films came from. Yeah. You were discussing that on the, um, on the icons on earth series that yeah. aired recently. It was amazing because you never hit TV. It, one out of, every 1 million TV experiences is you getting to do exactly what you want. Every other experience is you're on a show with some asshole or the actor doesn't want to do it or whatever, or there's a, you know, the network is being a huge pain in the, like it's a huge corporate structure where you're always prevented from doing exactly what you want. Unless you're someone, you know, it's the eighth season of Seinfeld and the show's a huge hit or you're Ryan Murphy or whatever, then you get to do what you want. But the average, uh, you know, comedy writer like we didn't get that opportunity. And so when we took over, uh, the network wasn't allowed to give any notes, nor was the studio. The only person who could ever give us any notes was James L. Brooks, but he was busy making his movies. Um, so it wasn't like he was reading the scripts and giving us notes. Um, we got to, we did whatever we wanted all, all the time. It was great. We wanted to, we only wanted to do it for one year because we were sure there was a lot of uncertainty about the show at that time, because what people don't realize now we're looking back from season 36 or whatever the hell it is was that most comedies did not go 
seven, eight, nine, ten years. Mm. Like Cheers, which I think was the most successful show of that decade, went maybe nine or ten seasons. Seinfeld went like eight or nine. MASH went like seven or eight. So everybody was like, this show is going to be over soon. And we didn't want to be stuck there being the guys who ushered it into the grave, which is why we said we want to do one season and see how it comes out. Um, And then it came out well, so we negotiated to do another season. It also gave us more leverage in negotiations, obviously, to stay for another season, which was great. Um, But that was kind of what the thinking was then is like, we're in the twilight of this thing. Let's have as much fun as we can before we have to leave. And, And obviously, that never came. Did you stop watching the show after you were finished with your gig as a showrunner? Yeah, I watched a couple of ones that we consulted on in season nine. And other than that, I think I've maybe seen three, two or three in the past 25 years. Was, is that just from burnout? Or was it just because you just didn't like the... Because there, 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 there was a change in the show between, say, eight through to like 12. A real change, particularly the character of Homer. Did you watch the show and go, maybe it's just not the show that I enjoyed anymore? Or was it just you were just burned out? I don't... I mean, I don't think... Uh, I've seen a couple of episodes that I think were ones that I wanted that I would want to see like the one where they came to Portland I obviously wanted to see Um, and a few other ones like that but in general I prefer The Simpsons the way it was in my head and when when I watch the show this is why I don't like comedy movies that much anymore either unfortunately when I go see the movie I'm like oh that's not the way I would have done it and whatever and it damages my I can't just watch the movie and that's why I like movies that are you know dramas or horror movies or whatever where I'm not even thinking for a second about what what it would be like to write that when I watch a comedy movie I'm like that's not working that's not where I have done it the guy read the line wrong that's the kind of way that's what happens when I watch Simpsons that I didn't that I didn't write or produce is like, Ooh, that's not, that doesn't seem like Homer wouldn't know that or whatever. And I get caught up in the details and I'm unable to appreciate it. That's the thing of this podcast is I feel like when I watch the Simpsons now, I'm watching it through a reviewer's eyes opposed to just enjoying the show. I used to as a fan, but guy would know how you film with movies because guy's been one of Australia's most acclaimed movie reviewers for the last 30 years. Oh, wow. Oh goodness. Well then you can't, I mean, maybe you have like, here's the thing that I discovered is that I've, I loved going to comedy movies as a kid when I from like ages 12 to 20 and then once I started writing comedy it became less enjoyable and it's like the funny thing is that there's a real cutoff because like movies I loved as a kid like I left the Blues Brothers I just loved them I would see them over and over mm. people who were five years older than me were like oh those sucked you know because they were already comedy writing and they already they had complaints about it and they were unable to see it through a fan's eyes rather than a writer's eyes and and that's unfortunately damaged my appreciation of almost all comedy movies except maybe like borat and things like that that are not so scripted and jackass yeah a sausage isn't quite as tasty once you know the mechanics of making a sausage so, very true very true now, getting back to, um, to Radio Bar, I was interested to read that this lost the Emmy for Outstanding Animated Program to Claymation Easter. Do you think if <laughs> people were aware of the cultural impact back in the early 90s that Simpsons would go on to have, do you think it would have won more Emmys? The Emmys have no bearing on reality. Let me make that yeah. clear. <laughs> the people who vote on the Emmys have no con- are like are a weird weird subsection of people who are super who work in tv and have gone to the trouble to fill out all the forms and crap necessary to Mm. vote in the emmys and stuff the same with the oscars to a large extent and so like the people who the emmys (laughs) the simpsons was first of all the simpsons was not well regarded by and by animators you know in the 80s and in the 90s either i think that people thought it was kind of it was snotty upstart for kids whatever claymation easter by i can assume it was by will vinton was probably regarded as a work of art which it probably was and so they weren't voting like this this is this happened multiple times when the simpsons was doing enemy emmys in the 
in the 90s where it would lose to something inexplicably and because like who we you don't know who the people were that were voting you don't know and like also there's the whole thing is such a fucking scam like the way to get an emmy for a thing like this is make sure every single person on your production who's eligible to join the tv academy joins everybody all the way from the casting person to you know the the casting people to the the post-production people the sound effects people you make sure every person on your production joins it costs like 135 dollars you pay for their membership and then they vote for you they, everybody gets to vote for their one show. They can, you can vote for the show you work on, and they vote for you and nothing else. And that's the way it works. No, I don't believe in nothing no more, Bill. <laughs> I'm going to go become a lawyer. Well, say during season seven when we finally won, uh, or season eight, that was what we did. After we lost in season seven, we're like, wait a minute. Is everybody here voting for us? And they're like, people were like, oh, we didn't know we could join. And we're like, okay, everybody is going to join. <laughs> Everybody's going to vote for us. And then we won. I mean, it was a good episode. So I mean, who that, that have something to do with it, but it, like, it certainly doesn't hurt. Mm. It's you, you got to make sure you're using every weapon at your disposal. Which episode did you send in for? It was homophobia, wasn't it? Yes, that was the one that won in season eight. In season seven, yeah. we submitted the Halloween special, which had that 3D. We were thought we thought everybody would be so blown away by the 3D thing that they would vote for it, but no, we lost to Pinky in the Brain. That, I have a, a soft spot for that episode because my mum banned me from watching The Simpsons for like the first seven years of my life because the I believe it's the first Treehouse of Horror Bad Dreamhouse. I copied Maggie and went to the kitchen and got a knife out of the drawer. So she was like, "Oh my it. god, yeah, she, yeah, like, no- she did the right thing." <laughs> yeah. So she's like, "No more Simpsons." And then the first one I was allowed to watch. That was a new episode. Was the Treehouse of Horror Six? So I've always just I've loved that episode because it was just like the 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 band was off. <laughs> Welcome back. Oh my god, I'm horrified by this story. This is one the one story I've ever heard where the parents were well well within their rights to ban you from watching the show. <laughs> All right, well we're running a little bit low on time, but so we will skip just the trivia and the favorite moments. We'll just get straight into the the, the episode of Radio Bart. We'll skim through this here. So the original air date of Radio Bart was January 9th, nineteen ninety two. It was written by John Vitti, directed by Carlos Beza, and it starred Sting as himself. Chopper gag: I will not carve gods, and a couch gag was the family bounces up and down on the couch. So the episode kicks off with uh, Lisa doing her funky dance to the dance video. And you mentioned here, Guy, Funky See, Funky Do, you're a big fan? <laughs> I am indeed Funky See, Funky Do. Uh, I'm, I've been ahead since uh, since the early 90s, uh, right up there with Tony, Tony, Tony. Uh, <laughs> i got to say, though, watching this episode, I was reminded of, I went to uh, the lovely Louise's teenage daughter's dance recital last weekend and it was all you know very innocent although they were doing greased lightning and it's like you're keeping in the original lyrics about it being a real pussy wagon and it's being sung by a bunch of 15 year old <laughs> girls i feel like i'm on a watch list um but there was also you know one young lady who decided to come out and do a well somewhat um i don't know provocative routine to nelly Furtado's man eater and again it was kind of like uh, so yes i felt very wow. uh, i felt very in sync with Homer, shall we say. <laughs> <laughs> so d- there was a mistake in this episode. So when Funky See, Funky Do eventually take over the We're Sending Our Love Down the Well song, they designed Kid and Play. They were meant to design Millie Vanilli, but they made a mistake. It looked like half and half because one definitely had kid hair, and but another one looked a bit sort of Millie Vanilli-ish. Um, by the way, I, I'm assuming it's Harry Shearer, but the, the other line that I used from this a lot is, that's very righteous. <laughs> 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 What are some of your favorite lines that you use in day-to-day life still, Bill? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, from from they're, they're obscure ones that that uh, I uh, use. That's everyone, me and Josh and and everyone that we know uses. That's really more of a weekend thing, Ray, from the from the uh, George Bush episode. Yeah, yeah, all the time. And it's not a laugh line, but it just really says something about your the type of person. It's, 
it really says a lot about the type of person <laughs> that George Bush was that he said that. And so that's the kind of thing it comes into play a lot in your daily life. I think the one that I say every single day is when my, when my wife's saying, are you ready? I always have to say, just got to put my shoes on. And it's not because I'm trying to quote The Simpsons. I just say that. So just that line, I just, I just love that line. Just got to put my shoes on. It might on. be true in many cases. I mean, that's... <laughs> Hey, kids, why sit in front of the TV when you can be on the radio? We're gonna roll this truck in convoy across the USA. Convoy. That could be Bart. Throw away your bulky transmitters and broadcasting towers. The Superstar Celebrity Microphone lets you hear your voice through any AM radio. Hey, good looking. We'll be back to pick you up later. <laughs> He's in for some loving. It's the perfect gift for birthdays, graduations, board meetings. You're fired. Hmm, Bart's birthday's coming up. But order now, supply is limited. <gasps> limited! Do you have any of those microphones left? Yeah, a couple. Now, this was a real thing, guys. I don't know if you know this. This was a real thing. This was a commercial that was always on in the late 70s and early 80s for this exact product. It has, they renamed it. But it was a... There was... You could broadcast on people... It did this exact thing. It was a microphone that could broadcast on radios that were nearby. And the ad, the most memorable part was a guys driving around in a, in a convertible, I think, who broadcast this on some woman's radio. And they, and they said, hey, good looking. We'll be back to pick you up later. That was the part that, was that in this show? It was in yeah. this episode. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Okay, good. Yeah. That's the part. That that was something that all everybody said, <laughs> kind of like ironically in, the, in that era. And Homer follows it up with, oh, he's in for some loving. <laughs> Uh, but yes, so I, I don't think we ever had anything like that, did we? To the best of my recollection, no. No, no but, that's um, I can remember. We, we bought all manner of, of stupid crap in the 70s at, at the Davis <laughs> household, so we would have had it. But the, uh, yes, we the, uh, the Supply Limited, which is also one of my favourite moments. I just, I just love it. Yeah, a couple. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then we're, um, we're in bed with Homer and Marge, and Homer's very proud of the present he's purchased. It's not going to be like the shoe trees that he purchased last year or the shelf over for Christmas. My only question is, why are Marge and Homer buying separate presents for Bard? You can't ask those questions. You can't ask those questions. They go by fast. You don't think about it too much. <laughs> Although I've got to say, Julie's line read of mm, "Yeah" was just perfect after Homer's sort of bearing his soul about. Ooh, I'm buying this great. Mm, yeah. Did you have moments in the writers' room, Bill, where kind of like that, where someone would go, "But what about this?" And you go, "Don't worry about it. It doesn't matter." Yes, occasionally. This is a thing that's well known in TV writing. In fact, I think it was a her phrase called refrigerator logic. Maybe it was Carl Reiner or someone that came up in the 50s. It might even been in the radio, days of radio. Refrigerator logic is something where the viewer's not going to notice this er this error in logic until they're later at the refrigerator getting a (laughs) snack 15 minutes later. And then they're like, hey, wait a minute. Why didn't Marge participate in the purchase of of Homer's thing? So a lot of times, we had a lot of real... um, finicky writers though so you couldn't get away with that very very well on the same mm-hmm. it was hard in the simpsons writers room to say eh, nobody's going to notice that often you you couldn't get away with that and then they go into that was it simpsons alt.net or whatever it was that what was the website tv.simpsons yes yeah. <laughs> that was around that time but that was i mean and that was the fans the fans would never notice everything and, and get all upset about it but in the writers room that happened as well did you ever take glee and see in the dismay from some of the fans online of things that like, are so petty that didn't it didn't matter? But oh they my got god, so- that I could this, you don't have much time for this. I could go on for an hour about how, what an <laughs> what how much I fucking hated all TV Simpsons. Well, I started out liking it, and then over time I began hating it, and 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 we had the modem removed. I had a modem installed back when you had to have a modem, and Fox as Fox didn't have they had a 
Centrex phone line, so you didn't have regular phone lines. So we could get on, and I had to learn Unix and all this stuff back before. This is way before the internet, uh, and it was using that. We got on all TV Simpsons. We were very excited, and over time. I became more and more disillusioned to the point that it enraged me and I've had them remove the modem and we never looked at it again. <laughs> that can be a podcast in the future. The hatred of alt.tv.simpsons. Oh, yeah. Simpsons. <laughs> was this when that convention uh, question a uh, bit came up? You know, <laughs> you know, in so-and-so episode, this happened, but then in later on, this happened. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was all from there. That was that Poochie was all based yeah. on that stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, so it's the it's the birthday morning. Homer's measuring Bart's height. Did, I, did did you guys do this when you were kids, measuring your height on the wall? Oh yeah, still everybody does that. It's just still. a little touch. That's what I love about the Simpsons. Just a little touch of just everyday life. Just measuring. Yeah. it's not sort of focused on. It's just a little thing measuring the height. Just but that's what makes the Simpsons so great. I love that. And um, then he watches his name on Krusty. Now I counted this. There was forty five names, and some of them were, were Simpsons staff members. But I worked it out that he paid eight dollars for this in nineteen ninety two, which is the equivalent to around sixteen dollars ninety nine now, right? So for 45 names, in about 10 seconds, he managed to make, uh, in current time, $764. Savvy businessman, that crusty. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, um, I never did anything. I don't think we ever had, we never really had a Crusty the Clan kind of show in the afternoons here in Australia. When you were growing up, Bill, did you have like a Crusty the Clan or like an, an afternoon host? Yeah, we did. Well, I think Krusty the Clown is a combination of two different things. There was Bozo. Yeah. Bozo the Clown, which is the most famous clown. I think Bozo had his own sh- I don't remember, but I do remember seeing Bozo a little bit. I think Bozo had his own show, but he might also have hosted afternoon cartoons. But in answer to your question, yes, I lived in the in the D.C. Maryland area. We had Captain Chesapeake, named for the Chesapeake Bay, who hosted the afternoon cartoons on on, on Channel Twenty when I was a kid. What were your favorite cartoons growing up? The funny ones, you know, like mainly the stupid funny ones that were on Saturday morning that were like. I don't even know if you guys had these like you know, well Scooby-Doo obviously yeah, yeah. Uh, but also like uh, uh, ones that were other Hanna-Barbera ones of that nature like Jabberjaw and uh, oh, yeah. Great Grape Ape things of that nature uh, that I all, I liked all those Fat Albert was Jabberjaw based on Rodney Dangerfield was it yeah he was, was, no, Dangerfield res- he was no respect right yeah no respect yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure they didn't pay one cent to Rodney Dangerfield that famous that every single thing from Hanna-Barbera was ripped off from some other thing as we later learned uh, and, mm-hmm. and pointed out I think in um, in that episode with Chester Lampwick <laughs> so Bart is off to his 46 local merchants as Guy mentioned earlier to get his free birthday goods and services his free Sunday he's told to eat and get out he goes to Jake's unisex hair palace we don't, we don't get enough Jake's unisex hair palace I feel uh-huh. like this <laughs> You never really fleshed out that character. Were there characters that you wish you had fleshed out a little bit more? Or was it just like, nah, this guy's isn't enough to him? No, I don't care about Jake's unisex hair palace, sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm wondering how but, unisex that place actually was. It didn't look very femme friendly. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt the ladies are coming in to get a get a blow dry from Jake. Uh, but uh, I'll tell you something, and this is probably adding me as a complete perv. I was... The, the tango lesson with uh, with Rosarita, mm. it's a bit where sort of Rosarita wraps her leg around Bart's head and Bart, given his height, I'm like, this could be misconstrued. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but Bart is, um, we're at the, is it Wally's, which is a take on Chuck E. Cheese, which we don't have in the States, uh, in Australia, but we have very similar things, but Bart's loving life. He's, it's, it's his birthday party. Nelson's obviously cheating in the background. Then we get the mascots. I feel like being the mascot would just be a terrible job. Actually, I put up on YouTube recently, Bill. Did you see Dan's performance as Homer on LA Law that I chucked up on YouTube recently? Yes, that was hysterical. How great is it? it was one of, I feel like it was one of the best crossovers, like genius crossovers I've ever seen. Like totally. Crossovers totally. To, to have Dan as Homer on there, I thought it was really well done. 
But um, but yeah, so Bart's playing Larry the Looter, which I believe makes an appearance in the show later on as well, Larry the Looter. Might have been like New Kid on the Block or something mm-hmm, with Laura, mm-hmm. the, the neighbour. Tough break for Larry the Looter. Then we get the, the iconic, you're the birthday boy or girl. This gets used, whenever someone's birthday yes. online, this gets used all the time. Yes. Yeah, this is- <laughs> hey there, I hear it's your birthday. How old are you? Well, I... That's great. Would you like us to sing you a special song? Hell no. You got it. Ready, Senor Bibarati? I'm already... And the one, and the two! You're the birthday, you're the birthday, you're the birthday, boy or girl! Was there ever something that you wrote that you thought was going to be like a thing that people talked about, like water cooler talk, like a quote that didn't actually take off? Like you could never have predicted steamed hams would have become steamed hams. No, no. Um, I, I don't think we ever predicted anything like that would take off. Um because we never had any idea what would be what would be successful and what wouldn't um you know we didn't think people would like the frank grimes episode and they didn't at the time a lot of this Mm. stuff by the way has aged like fine wine where at the time people were like this is i hate this (laughs) and then over (laughs) and they came to love it so in answer to your question we never thought anything we never were so bold as to think any of these things would survive for more than a few months or a few days really i just think that's the simpsons in general i remember even when i was a teenager like the the season 15 season 16 era people were hating on the show by this point and you go back and revisit it now and you go it's actually really good and you know compare it to what's coming out now like i feel like people would have to, have to look back on it 10 years later and go oh what were we whinging about it was actually really good yeah so much of that stuff is in people's heads is not reality is is just um it's people's perception of stuff that like you know i've a lot of people uh you know, a lot of times when you're watching TV and the show is a competently written show, it's about your mood. They, they, it's more your perception of the show is more about what mood you're in than about the quality of the show. Because uh, yeah. I've you know had the same thing, and Josh has had the same thing where we thought episodes we didn't like certain episodes that were actually magnificent episodes because we were just in a bad mood. Yeah, I find I have to if I'm doing a review, I've got to watch it in the afternoon. If I watch it at night time when I'm tired, I'm just going to hate the episode. I'm just too tired. A father yep, of two yep. small children, not going to happen. But this is where we get Bart opening up all the presents. And I like here that they plant the seed of the label maker here. You don't think it's going to be a big story point, but of course, that's what unravels everything. Yeah, yeah. It's really well constructed story. Set up, payoff. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was, I think it's one of my favorite payoffs in, of all time in The Simpsons. This crappy present that he got for his birthday that he hated from Patty and Salma. And then eventually it's what unravels everything in the story. Did you notice here that he was given Dr. Marvin Monroe's Guide to Etiquette? That's something Etiquette. that I'd never actually noticed no. ever in my life until I did this review. I know you said you hated Marvin Monroe. Was that just because of the, the, the voice or was it just that the character just had no substance to him? Both. Yeah. Also, he's from, <laughs> he's from what I think has got to be... There's two episodes from season one that I think are just deplorable. It's Homer's Odyssey and there's no disgrace like home. And that's got the, the shock treatment scene in it. And I just think I just always associate Monroe with that scene and I just go, ugh, I hate that. I think those are good. I mean, I think those episodes are very good. For uh, look, you have to remember that at the time, those episodes were amazing. They're not quite the show that w- w- it later evolved into. But yeah, I don't like. I don't like his voice. I actually just don't like hearing the voice, and yeah. I don't like the drawing. I'm assuming it's a very hard voice to um to do. As I bet well. it probably Harry. It probably really. I think it was Harry's voice. It probably really messes up his throat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you get Homer gives him his present. He thinks it's going to be good. Throws it next. He throws it aside. Doesn't want it at all. Then we get Martin giving the matching outfits. And yeah. Martin's a ca- Martin's a character that. The older I've got, the more I've appreciated. I used to hate Martin as a kid, but I love him now. He's just so snooty, but you just got to love him. Oh, yeah. He's he's a, he's a very believable character. I mean, I think everybody, all of us knew someone like that. And I think he's got my favorite death in all of Treehouse of Horror. <laughs> in in Treehouse <laughs> yeah. of Horror 6 with the, with the Freddy. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. By the way, underrated line from Homer. I bet you think nothing's going to top that cactus. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Bart is um, now putting the labels of property of Bart Simpson on, on everything, including Homer's beer and whatnot. And as we said, this is going to pay off later on. The microphone's in the window and Homer's trying to, uh, to show off this present that actually works. Listen, boy, this is a great invention. Watch. <laughs> we got a great big convoy rocking through the night. We got a great big convoy. Ain't she a beautiful size? Convoy. Dad, Dad. Hey, good looking. We'll be back for some dinner later. What did you say? I can't understand you with all that distortion. Oh. And I love the moment coming up where Marge sort of realizes, oh, okay. Because like she, she says oh, it's too distorted and she realizes oh, I've got to try and fix this. And she does. And the moment that Homer realizes that Bart actually enjoys his present is the kind of emotional scenes that I just love the most about The Simpsons. Yeah. It's just like, oh, it's just very heartfelt. It's like, oh, you do love it. But then still, you've got to always end it with a gag, Bart whacking the label on Homer's ass. <laughs> we come back and yeah, Bart's just taking the mickey out of everybody. I think like if you were a kid and you realized you could do this, you, of course, you'd be doing what Bart, Bart's doing here. Like, sorry, lady, show's over. I love that. I th- my <laughs> mum, I remember my mum hating that. She thought it was so cruel from Bart. And I just thought it was hilarious as a kid, just m- pretending that Maggie was talking. Uh, li- they're listening to Janie and Lisa talking uh, in a bedroom. Then we get the fake fart from Mrs. K. Then taking over Rod and Todd. Did you always get a kick out of the Simpsons taking the mickey out of uh, the Flanders family when you were yes. working on the show? Yes, especially if they deserved it. Like, you know, I think that's like, sometimes the planners, I think, took unnecessary abuse. Obviously, from Homer, Ned always took unnecessary abuse. But I also think that sometimes when they, when they, there's nothing more satisfying than seeing them take abuse when they deserve it, <laughs> which is only periodically, only rarely. Uh, in this case, it was kind of, you know, it was, I don't know that they deserved it, but it was funny to see. As, as long as it's funny, that's all that matters, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> But this is where Bart drops the um, drops the radio down the well. And Willie overhears the call for help. Guy has said time and time again, he's not a fan of Groundskeeper Willie. What about you, Bill? I like him fine. I don't. I wouldn't say that I, lo- I love, love, love him, but I do think he's funny. I think he's funny in small doses. And he was very hard to write. Oh, my God. Writing, because he always uses these complicated expressions that, that, like Sideshow Bob, you know, he talks in a very distinctive way that requires every single syllable to be carefully written. And it's not, you know, Homer, you can write pretty easily, whereas Groundskeeper Willie always talks in these complicated metaphors and stuff that, um, anyway, so I like him fine in small doses. Well, The Simpsons, mm. I think, is filled with characters that are good in small doses. Yeah, that's the magic of it. They've got like 94 characters that are good in small doses and four <laughs> and four that are good in, in large doses. So what, were the, what was the criteria you had to tick off to go, okay, it's worth doing an episode on this side character. There's enough there. Like, what, what did you have to tick off? What were the boxes? They would have to have been a side character that was that had graduated into like Skinner. By season seven, he had graduated into being a major character. I think. Yeah. And even then, it had to have enough to do with The Simpsons as well. Like you couldn't just have Skinner by himself, except in Twenty Two Short Films. Otherwise, it would have to be you know Skinner with Bart, as in, as it was in that episode, that hundredth episode thing. Can we just say we recently tackled Grade School Confidential? I think that's almost one of my favorite episodes now. That episode is brilliant, and I did not appreciate it enough when I was a kid. It is brilliant. It is it is very um, well written by by my wife Rachel Oakley wrote that episode and it, it came what? out great and it t- continues to live on to this day because of the real yeah. the real emotion and the real pathos in those two characters. Just them sitting at the dining table at Martin's birthday. I think it was just my favorite scene in the whole episode. I just thought it was just like you said, it was just so real. Yeah, yeah. 
But it's that thing as well as, you know, a show is different every time you watch it because you're different every time you watch it. And, you know, you get a few miles on the meter or life sort of, you know, throws you a few, uh, you know, kicks in the head or something. Oh, my God, yes. Yeah, it's like, oh. You people who grew up, everybody who related to Bart is now probably related to Skinner. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, 20 years later. Seymour's got a point. The kids are, yeah, no, the children are wrong. Yeah, and he's also, he's, he's, you know, he's working hard to try to make that crappy school run and (laughs) he doesn't deserve all this flack he has to take for it. Okay, where's the where's the Skinner spinoff that becomes Abbott Elementary? You know, do that. You don't have to convince me. You got to convince the network. <laughs> hey, l- let me be part of the Discord, and that's the kind of project you'll be, uh, you know, passing judgment on. <laughs> yeah, great, great. <laughs> so that was a kind of. Didn't you want to do a spinoff series at the time when you were working on the show, Bill? Wasn't that a thing? Oh yeah, this is again. This is another whole episode. So I don't want to take up too much here. We're already over an hour here, and I don't want to take up too much of your time or my time. But yes, there was that was already in the works at one point. Josh and I had wanted to do one for years that was called Springfield and was kind of like a. Um, focused on other characters mm. beside the Simpsons, but Brooks did not like that idea because he's all about the family, you know, he's all about the family and whatever. And, uh, you know, that's, he's, he knows what people like. Yeah. Well, we're speaking to Matt Salmon recently, a couple of weeks ago, and he just said, look, James L. Brooks just still has his fingerprints over everything. He's still got to approve things, still suggesting ideas. I love that. After the 34 years or whatever, he's still there. He's a very talented man. As I did say, though, he wasn't there at all during the time that we were there. <laughs> Uh, so let's um let's skim to the uh, Bart's play the trick on the town. They think Timmy O'Toole's down this well, and it's just escalating. Let's talk about the we're sending our love down the well song, getting Sting on. So originally it was so going to be Bruce Springsteen, and they couldn't get Springsteen, which I think he must look back now and kind of regret that, even if he says he doesn't. I mean, it's this, how, how do you not want to go on The Simpsons in season three? I do not know. <laughs> yes, but uh, but I think Sting was just incredible as a replacement. I was just thinking about that too for the. Um, Sting is perfect. Sting is far more perfect for, for that role than yeah. Bruce Springsteen mm-hmm. was. Bruce Springsteen didn't do ever do stuff like that. Uh, like Sting occasionally would appear in things like, you know, We Are the World or whatever. Um, yeah, I was just thinking about that because the, the people who turned us down, the many, many, many people that turned us down for that, ep- the Homer Palooza episode. And I was just thinking, because I was listening to Stone Temple Pilots the, the other day on the radio, I was like, hey, you, you turned us down well. Look who had the last laugh, Stone Temple Pilots. <laughs> <laughs> I just think Sting's great casting as well because he sort of has that reputation as being a little, not uptight, but... Well, also that he seems the kind of person who's really concerned about good causes or promoting yeah. himself along with the good cause, you know? Plus, before he became a musician, he was a ditch digger. So he was perfect for this role. That's why. That's where the line. I never. I didn't know that either. Wow. Yeah. That's why. Schmudge. He's a good digger. That's where that came from because he used to dig holes for a living. <laughs> I had no idea. Well, that that adds additional dimension to the story. Yeah, yeah. But the the whole would take on. We are the world. So I never lived through this era of the you know the as we are the world for live aid and things like that. I, but I still found this hilarious. Like it's clearly that these guys are just in it to make a quick buck. I just love the, you know, where oh my God. you know, pay for this, pay for I that. Love it and then so whatever's left, we'll just chuck it down the well. <laughs> that is one of my favorite things about this episode is that is the it's so funny and it's just, it's so believable. And every crummy celebrity is in there too, including the Capital City goofball. Yeah. And, and Marvin everyone, Monroe. every celebrity we've ever seen is all lined up in there singing all sincere and swaying back and forth. <laughs> Very big quote marks around celebrity. <laughs> um, Bill, I'm trying to remember in We Are the World, who's who's the singer who during the chorus or during the breaks in the uh, in the in the singing will sort of add their two cents and really go for it. I'm, I thought it might have been Springsteen or maybe Bono, but it's like I don't remember. But I do remember that the funny thing was that Dan Aykroyd was in there too, and everybody was like, "What?" I think it was that song. Dan Aykroyd, you know, wasn't really known as a singer, but he was in there and he was swinging back and forth at everybody. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was that song. Um, that that's 
a part of the comedy of this whole thing is the yeah. nature of these events. <laughs> the perfect writing for me is just the discussion between Sting and Krusty as well. He said, what about Saturday? I said, fine. True story. <laughs> Friday's worse than Thursday. <laughs> Friday's worse than Thursday. It's just fantastic, of course. I wanted to do something to help that boy, so I called my good friend Sting. He said, Krusty, when do you need me? I said, Thursday. He said, I'm busy Thursday. I said, what about Friday? He said, Friday's worse than Thursday. Then he said, how about Saturday? I said, fine. True story. Yeah, I used to open for Krusty in uh, 69. In fact, he fired me, as I recall. <laughs> Sting. But this isn't about show business. This is about some kid down a hole or, or something, and we've all got to do what we can. There's a hole in my heart As deep as the well for that poor little boy Who's stuck halfway to hell Though we can't get him out We'll do the next best thing We'll go on TV and sing, sing, sing And we're sending our What are your plans for the royalties? Well, we gotta pay for promotion, shipping, distribution. You know, those limos out back, they aren't free. Whatever's left, we throw down the well. But yeah, it all unravels when um when they overhear some chewing going on down the well. And Bart obviously says that he was trying to gnaw off his foot, couldn't get through his sock, and Lisa says they're gonna want to get you. So Bart realizes he's got the um as we said, the payoff with the with the label on the on the um on the radio. Can I just say though, just quickly, yeah. uh that whole thing with Ken Brockman, it's one of my favourite moments. My my sister Margot called me up one day and said, you know, I was watching The Simpsons last night, the bit where it's like, the boy has reverted to a feral or wolf-like state and there's that little artist impression of I was yeah. a teenage werewolf. She, yes. She, so she laughed for like five minutes straight and now every time I see her, I'll occasionally sort of go the ah face. <laughs> <laughs> just make a laugh. So, yeah, that's one of my favourite, favourite bits from this ever, Joe. Just that little throwaway bit. I love it. Do you and Josh have moments in the show, Bill, where no one else really finds all that funny or anything, but it's just... It reminds you of something that when you're working on the show and it's just a little inside joke that you and Josh have. Do you ever have moments like that? Yeah. I mean, we have lots of those. Uh, do, you mean, uh, do you mean things that are on the show? Or- yeah. So, so things that are on the show that people might find funny for another reason, but it reminds you of something else that you and Josh were working on at the time or it's just in the writer's room, someone said something and it just you burst out laughing. Yeah. There's dozens of those things in there. I mean, that's the, that was the magic of not having, any note, take, having to take any notes from anyone is we just put <laughs> the stuff right in. You know, and there's tons of things like that. Every there's tons of moments. It, it probably wanted at least one every episode where other people were like, "This line isn't getting a laugh," and we're like, "We just want to keep it, okay?" And then that would be the end of the discussion. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I just feel like that that gig you had there with The Simpsons just seems like the, the the greatest gig you'd ever have in television. Like you were just saying earlier, was it just because you just didn't want to do it anymore? Like, or was it just because everyone did two years? It was a combination of those things. It was that that we. Well, everybody up to that point, everybody had done two years and left. It was supposed like being a president. You get two terms and then you leave. Um, and so that was what we that was that was part partly the thing. But also it was the golden age of development deals. And, and you get paid a lot of money, more money than working on The Simpsons in some cases to go off and make up your own show, which is what we did with Mission Hill. 
Um, and that was, you know, th- so that's part of it. And also because, as I said, we were thoroughly convinced that the, that the show was going to end any minute. We, even like we, like the last part of season eight is kind of shaggy because we were like this show, we were out of ideas. <laughs> and we were like, okay, well, we don't, we don't want to, we don't want to be the people there sh- ushering it into the grave. Okay. But yeah, that never right. happened. So it's, <laughs> still, you know. still going. Yeah. <laughs> it's been going longer as long as I've been alive. But <laughs> basically, everything's unbothered for Bart. No one wants to pay any attention to it anymore. This is kind of like how... I know this is how it would happen in real life, but do you feel like, to say, for example, if you found out that Jesse McClure was pulling a prank on people, how do you think the public would have responded to that? Do you think it would have been similar to Springfield or do you think it would have been a different way? People would have been... It would have been very similar because that happened. That happened in America with that hot air balloon thing. This, do you remember this? It was about 10 years ago where this exact... Yeah, Balloon Boy. You have to, I don't remember all the specifics of it, but it turned out it was pretty much exactly what happens in this episode. It was a, a, a kid had been caught up in a hot air balloon that had gotten loose and was blowing across the upper Midwest. <laughs> and it turned out it was all a hoax, right? Isn't that... I, I don't remember the specifics, but if you Google Balloon Boy, you'll find out. I'm thinking, was, was it actual... Like an early attempt to make a viral video or to make a like a YouTube sensation or something? I think so. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> people were not happy about it. And it's still, that's why it sticks on. To, it's, it's still around to this day as Balloon Boy. You know, if you say Balloon Boy, you know you're talking about something like that. And it is. So to answer your question, yes, that's 100% what would happen. People would turn on you as they did on Balloon Boy. So everyone's uh, given up on Bart. You know, the song's now down to number 97. Uh, not Millie Vanilli, what are they called? Uh, Funky C, Funky Do have taken the number one spot once again. With with with, I do believe we're naked. Yeah, I don't love the day show. <laughs> now that's a story, and it's a squirrel that looks like Lincoln. <laughs> yes. Talk about setup and payoff, though. I mean, it, it, it's the, the timeline's a little shorter, but cutting back to Ken Brockman a little later, it's like he's got his Walter Cronkite voice on. The Lincoln squirrel has been assassinated. <laughs> yes, that's we'll really save good this all night if we have to. <laughs> Bar, honey, I made you an extra warm sweater you can wear while you're down in the well. Mom, it's too big. Don't worry, you'll grow into it. Homer! You know, I've done a lot of bad stuff through the years. I guess now I'm paying the price. But there's so many things I'll never get a chance to do. Smoke a cigarette, use a fake ID, shave a swear word in my hair. (laughs) That's all I can stands, I can't stands no more. I'm gonna get you out of there myself. The Simpsons is one of those shows where, even when I was a kid, it was man- it managed to make me cry. And I remember almost crying in that moment because I think I just related to Bart. Imagine being, tra- imagine being trapped in this well it's and no one sweet. cared. Yeah. yeah you know. <laughs> so Homer says he's had enough and he starts digging. I love that Marge gets the wheelbarrow as well just to help out. And then Willie says, yeah. why didn't I think of that? Mm. But then we just we get some random guy just run over to start helping. Who is I'm that wondering guy? The thir- who's the third guy? Why was he there? And why yeah. does he have the shovel? <laughs> it doesn't matter. But anyway, but yeah, so they um they, they dig Bart out, they get down. It's got one of my favourite moments in the episode where they find the canary. Just a, a canary. courses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So they get back in the hole. Stinger's the one, he's um he's digging Bart out. He rescues Bart. Homer shoves him out of the way. And then Bart says, that, oh, Homer says they're going to do everything they can to make sure no one falls down this well again. And it's just really putting the sign saying, caution well, that should do it. And yeah, like you were saying, Bill, like this is... An episode from season three that's just hidden amongst the gems, but it's a gem in itself that doesn't tend to get the love that it deserves, does it? Right. It's very much like, uh, uh, you know, I think certain historical figures. Like, you know, we have, a, we have, a, I don't, I, I hesitate to say this, but we've had a lot of presidents who did a better job than John F. Kennedy 
in keeping the country running well that everyone's forgotten. <laughs> and that, this is this show is that is that you know James K. Polk perhaps I can't really I can't really say without a deep dive into it. But this episode, this episode deserves far more accolades than it gets for the reasons we discussed earlier. It's a little gem unto itself. I mean, not not a high carrot gem, but it's studded with all these little bits and pieces. Yeah. Like 20 different little things that we remember as some of our great Simpsons moments of all time are all in this episode. Yeah. You sort of walk away from the episode saying, oh, it's got this, this, that, and that. Oh, wow. Exactly. All, all in the, yeah. It, it's, you know, you've got a, you've got yourself a box of canned chocolate that's got actually got like three, three toys in it as opposed to just one. Yes, precisely. <laughs> well said. <laughs> all right. Well, let's get back to the food then. Let's plug uh, the Steam Hand Society once more, Bill, before we let you go. Okay, go to the steamed go to steamedhamssociety.com. Sign up for the most expensive level that you can afford <laughs> and enjoy the fruits of your, you know, whatever. If you want the Simpsons level for our live streams and our Discord for the screenwriting level for or any of the other food levels with the various treats and stuff. It's like as I said, it's for food lovers and Simpsons fans worldwide and uh, it is it's a fun place to hang out definitely. It just makes me so happy mm. that it's been such a success for you because I was telling Guy off air before you came on that of all the Simpsons, all the people who have ever worked on The Simpsons, I feel like you've been the most open with fans, willing to talk to the show. You're willing to talk to anybody. You put in all the extra effort for us and we do appreciate it. So I wish you nothing but the success with it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. All right, guys, like you said, check out steamhampsociety.com. And also, uh, where do they go to find out uh, Mission Hill in 4K? Where can they go and find out more details on that? Probably just on my Twitter is the only place. And, and my Twitter is definitely, Twitter may be out of business any hour now. <laughs> so if, if you need further information, go to my Instagram. Both are that Bill Oakley. Yeah, at that Bill Oakley. Make sure you like that, guys. All right, guys, this has been our review of Radio Bart. Don't forget to continue to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Check us five stars and leave a few kind words. And also follow us on Instagram at discount at Pod on Twitter for as long as it's around. Thank you once again, Bill, for your time. You're an absolute champion and wish you all the best with Steam Ham Society. Thank you. And, 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 and work out something so that I can come to Australia for free. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, let's, start, let's start a... Do people still do GoFundMe? Is that still a thing? Yeah, dude, let's do it. I'll do it. We'll do a tour of the whole country uh, for like six months and <laughs> showing Mission Hill to people who never heard of it before. Shh.